When it comes to the national perspective on the Sacramento Kings, I know a lot of Kings fans want to outright discredit it because they don't believe national media members are watching the Sacramento Kings nearly as much as they're watching the Lakers or the Celtics or other major markets. But there are some media members like Howard Beck who have a national's perspective who do pay close attention to what the Kings are doing. Howard joins me on today's Locked on Kings podcast to address a bunch of different Kings-related topics, including were the Sacramento Kings the best story of the NBA season? And would Howard give up Keegan Murray in a trade for OG Ananubi? It's all right here on the Locked on Kings podcast. You are Locked on Kings, your daily Sacramento Kings podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it is that time. Time for another episode of Locked on Kings. Hello and welcome to Locked on Kings, your podcast hub for Sacramento Kings coverage all off-season long. Today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. First-time users can receive 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code Locked On. That's prizepicks.com, promo code Locked On. On. My name is Matt George. I have the privilege of being your host here. I'm a Sacramento sports reporter and producer for ABC 10 News. Howard Beck is someone that I've gotten to know uh, over the last handful of years, uh, really connected with him in my time working uh, in, in Sacramento sports radio. I've had him on Locked on Kings three or four times now, so I'm excited to have him back on. Like I mentioned in the intro, really interesting stuff on the Kings being the best story of, of the season or if they were the best story of the season. Good stuff on Keegan Murray, his development, what's next for him, and uh, how Howard would or would not include Keegan in a trade for OG Ananobi or a player of that caliber. And I think you're really going to be interested towards the end of the conversation in what Howard has to say about the Sacramento Kings re-signing Harrison Barnes. I really hope you enjoy this conversation. A ton of stuff to react to, so please get loose in the comment section. If you're watching on YouTube, you can reach me on Twitter at MattGeorgeSack. Email me, MattGeorgeSports at gmail.com. But for now, enjoy my conversation with National NBA Media Member of Voter in the uh, All-NBA teams, in Coach of the Year, in all the NBA awards, Howard Beck. I had the treat of having Howard Beck on Locked On Kings multiple times before he became a partner of the Locked On Podcast Network. Now you see him all over Locked On, the local shows, the national shows, and I got fortunate enough once again to steal him back here for some time on Locked On Kings. Howard, welcome in, my friend. I know you're doing a lot of these, so I really appreciate you uh, you taking the time. I want to jump right into, from your national perspective that you provide were the Sacramento Kings the best story of the regular season in your mind, or was it something else? No, I think they probably were. I mean, there were some other breakthrough seasons. And by the way, good to be back with you, Matt. Thank you for the kind intro as always. Um, look, uh, here in my backyard, the Knicks were were kind of a feel-good story of sorts. Not quite the same heights, um, although they made the second round. But I mean, you know, regular season heights, obviously. Um, the, you know... There are there are a few others around the league, um, and certainly like the Heat are a weird version of this now because they were like colossal underachievers in the regular season, and now they're colossal overachievers or something. I, it's bizarre. Um, <laughs> I I think start to finish, and certainly a lot of the postseason uh, awards and uh, accolades reflect this. The Kings, yes, um, the the most enjoyable of all the breakthrough stories, uh, the most. Um, 
in some ways, just the the most easy to appreciate, right? Nobody has to be a Kings fan outside of Sacramento or whatever to appreciate and be happy for the Kings and their fans, given everything y'all have gone through over the last 17 years. Um, and they were fun to watch and they have great personalities. And, you know, you know, Mike Brown becomes the first unanimous coach of the year winner. Everybody loves Mike Brown. Um, other coaches love Mike Brown, players love Mike Brown. We in the media clearly by making him unanimous coach of the year. We love Mike Brown. Like it was just such an easy, fun, like no asterisks attached kind of story, right? Um, you know, we're talking on a Monday where over the weekend, John Morant had another gun incident and it's like the Grizzlies would have normally been on the list of, Hey, they took another step. They were, but everything that they've done since, right. From jaws stuff to Dylan Brooks's antics, like it's kind of put like, it's, it's kind of smudged the whole picture there. And so, yeah, it's, 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 I think the Kings by, by a pretty good measure and, um, you know, 48 wins, a playoff appearance. I don't even think, and I said this before there's no shame in losing to the defending champs and losing the first round. It's an upset in by definition as a three losing to a six, but it's not an upset by any traditional or reasonable measure. Um, we know who the warriors are. We know that their record was, was an underachieving kind of record to begin with. We, you know, I picked the, the, the warriors to win that series. And, and again, it was no knock on the, on the, the, the Kings. It was just more a matter of like, you knew that the Warriors were better than what the record indicated mm. and that the Kings were making their first ever playoff appearance. And normally when you finally break through after years of being out, you usually break through as like a six, seven or eight and you lose. And everybody says, Hey, that's great. That's fine. You, this was a step. You took the necessary first step. You come back the next season and you try to, to, to win a series. That's usually the law of the, of, of you know, the, or the order of things in the, in the, uh, the NBA playoffs. Um, so I don't I have I have no caveats whatsoever in proclaiming it a, a wildly successful season. You mentioned the awards and and the the media's part in that. Were there any awards that the Kings received or didn't receive? Maybe any just surprises in general from the I mean the Kings cleaned up on awards uh, in, in terms of yeah. like, from all NBA individual recognition coaches, Monty McNair front office. Like is there any awards that surprised you that the Kings did get or didn't get or anything just with how the awards shook up in so heavy favor of the Kings? I don't think there were any surprises. Um I had De'Aaron Fox and Sabonis on my all NBA ballot. Um, obviously they both made third team. And I think that's where I had both of them. Um, I'm double checking now. Cause I always, like I, you, you do these things, you put all this time in and then like, I'd send it off and forget. Yes. I had them both third team. Um, and they made it, you know, I, I obviously was among the voters for Mike Brown since it was unanimous. So there's no ambiguity there. Um, and you know, I, you know, I, I guess if anybody's going to complain about anything, like I had Keegan Murray on my first team, all rookie, um, and, uh, you know, he obviously, you know, he got his recognition. Um, I don't, I don't know. Is any, 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 uh, if I'm overlooking anything, do Kings fans have any concerns, beefs with the way things, uh, unfolded there? Not at all. I was more curious from your perspective of just how many awards the Sacramento Kings got. And it, it was, it's like, it's nice for the Kings to receive that recognition because it's recognition they haven't gotten for a long time. But this kind of segues into the next area of our conversation that I wanted to talk about, like, this year is nice. It was enjoyable. It was about kind of enjoy the ride, vibes, fun. Look at this resurgence and maybe the the reemergence of Sacramento Kings basketball. Now there's expectations to build on. So it's it's hard to expect, hey, the Kings are going to do just as well in NBA awards next year. I recognize so much of why they got the awards was because of that turnaround and where they came from. But 
kind of similar to the, the, the Grizzlies point is significantly different because things have kind of gone up in flames, but it wasn't too long ago that they were this upstart, exciting team that everybody kind of wanted to pay attention to. Can this year stand on its own for what it was and let the future be whatever it is? Or do the Sacramento Kings have to build upon it for this season to matter as much as the awards suggest it does? Yeah, that's a really great question, actually. Um, I, it's it's both because, you know, the, this is an entertainment product, ultimately, right? Like, you know, we, we can talk about, you know, uh, how do you build toward a champion and how do you do all these other things and what's sustainable in today's NBA and, and all these other things we can talk about from a basketball standpoint and a business standpoint, whatever. But it's an entertainment product. And Kings fans had a a, a wonderful, enjoyable season that, I think stands on its own, right? I'm sure that by October, it's going to be, okay, but what's next, right? And by this time next year, if there's not an advance, then the joy of of these last several months will turn into the frustration of not being able to take the next step, right? Um, so yeah, I mean, I, you know, future performance can, can I think, maybe warp our, our perceptions or, or recollections of the past, but I think, I think it stands on its own. Um, that said, yes, you can bet everything you got that in the Kings front office, they stopped celebrating whatever there was to celebrate, like, you know, within three seconds after the final buzzer, right? Or stopped celebrating as that as, as they were losing that final game. Like, immediately, immediately, like, no, nobody in an NBA front office, and this is this is like part of the, like the sickness of, of being an NBA coach or NBA GM or NBA team president, whatever. The sickness of it is, we on the outside will be like, oh man, by the way, fantastic season. That was, that was great. And they're, they'll take it. And I've, I've had these conversations for, for, you know, for years with these guys. Um, but they are always focused on everything that went wrong. They're always focused on what they have to do next. Uh, they never, they almost never enjoy this stuff. Even the championships, it's like within two days, it's like, oh, we got free agents and we got extensions and we got this and that, like it's never ending. Um, so to that end or to that point, now the hard part comes, right? 48 wins is a fantastic breakthrough, but 48 win teams don't generally make the finals or compete for championships. You got to start, you got to crack that 50 barrier. That's kind of the magical number in the NBA and better, even better if you're 55 plus. How do you get there? Um, you know, I start looking ahead to next season and I think, well, Denver's not going anywhere. Memphis has a big fat asterisk on them because of all the stuff, but on talent alone, the, the Grizzlies should be in the, in the mix still. The Kings will be in the mix. The Lakers are in the conference finals right now. And yes, LeBron will be another year older. But I mean, look, they fixed their roster. They, they, you know, belatedly. But like the Lakers will start off this coming season or next season way stronger than they started last season. Um, as long as LeBron is still at a, at a you know, similar level. Uh, I don't think the Warriors are going anywhere. Uh, we presume health for the Clippers. <laughs> Here we go again, but they're right back in it. <laughs> The Suns will presumably find some help for Kevin Durant and Devin Booker in the offseason. So they're right in there. So there's no, you know, like it's not getting any easier. And there's no overwhelming powerhouse in all of that. But depending on what some of these teams do, depending on what Dallas does, you you will have a lot of teams that are, that are you know, strong to potentially great. Um, the Kings could could achieve at the same level but slip in the standings. You know, they could, they could go for 48 wins again and have that only be good enough for fifth place next mm -hmm. season. Um, on the good news side of it, you know, De'Aaron Fox still evolving. Um, 
Keegan Murray, Davion Mitchell, these are guys who are young and improving. Um, they've got cap exceptions to spend, the the, the mid-level, the biannual. They, they've got some room to do some things. Um, but the big question, and it's the obvious one, you were the number one offense in the league, but 24th in defensive efficiency. And that's, you know, defense has been the bugaboo for a long time for the Kings. How do you fix that? And I think the the bigger question there, and it's interesting because I used to ask people about the Nuggets with this, but it's a similar thing. And people have sometimes compared Sabonis to, you know, a, a, a you know, I don't know, lesser version of, I hate to say it that way, of, of Jokic, right? There's a, this comparable kind of like scoring big who's also a great passer and does a lot of different things, right? But is not a rim protector. Mm-hmm. And Sabonis is now the, start, the permanent starting center. Can you, just as I, I have, I've asked this about the Nuggets in the past, and I'll ask it about the Kings now, can you build an average to above average or hopefully even top 10 defense with a non-rim protecting center who happens to be one of your best players? In Denver's case, clearly the best player. In the Kings case, co-best player, I guess. Um, how do you do that? How do you manufacture a great defense when your center is an offensive-based center? And 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 a, and a great one at that. But how do you do it? I don't I don't know the answer to that. By the way, <laughs> um, that's that's a question for Monty McNair and Wes Wilcox and 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 that staff and Mike Brown to all figure out. But I think it's an interesting one because for them to take the next step and to to be a sustainable have a sustainable future as a contender in the West, you got to figure out the defense. And normally in this league, it, it starts with like a great defensive big. But you can do it other ways. You could have great defensive wings. Um. So, so, you know, that, but that's, but that's the conundrum to me. That's how you take the next step. Like I said, at the top of the show, today's episode of the Locked on Kings podcast is brought to you by prize picks and their $1 million daily super flex promotion happening for the NBA playoffs and the NBA finals exclusively every day of the playoffs and finals. One prize picks user will win a chance at becoming a millionaire every day. One entry will be placed after 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time and will be randomly selected. Whoever placed that entry will be given a six pick flex with the following payouts. You get six correct picks. You get a million dollars. You get five correct picks, $80,000. Four correct picks, $16,000. You can get four uh, full details uh, about the competition on pricepicks.com slash million. But when I, I mentioned picks, the way prize picks works is you pick two to six players and the over or under on their projected scoring totals for that given night. So, for example, uh, with the Nuggets and um, who are they playing? Lakers. Jeez. Nuggets and Lakers game one on Tuesday. Let's say the over for Nikola Jokic is 33 and a half points uh, or like that's the scoring line and you choose over on that uh, and you choose under on uh, LeBron James's scoring line of 30 and a half. Well, if you get those both right, and again, you can pick up to six players, then you can win up to 25 times your money. No competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections available. They have it for the NBA, NFL, MLB, all the major sports, European sports, combat sports, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So many ways for you to play. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. Safe and fast withdrawals for you. Uh, so when you win money, you will get that money. And it's currently operational in over 30 states and in Canada. If it's your first time playing, download the PrizePix app, sign up, and first-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code Locked On. So you deposit $100, you get $100. You deposit $50, you get $50. It's an instant match. Don't forget to enter promo code Locked On at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. 
Yeah, Monty and the Kings have a lot of decisions to make this offseason. Some prominent decisions about bringing guys back, in particular Harrison Barnes, Trey Lyles, guys like that. But in Monty, Monty's end-of-season press conference, I thought he he kind of tipped his hand a little bit or, or kind of led us into his thinking, which he doesn't often do. And, and he started talking a lot about the core that's here in Sacramento, the that 24 to 27 age range of the Fox, the Monk, the Sabonis, all these guys, the Keegan Murray's who's younger, but being added to that core about them continuing to improve them getting better. And it, I mean, it seems like, and maybe I'm reading too far into this, but a lot of the expectation for the Kings improving relies on the players that are already here, continuing to get better and not on some magical splash move or the addition of two or three more really established role players to come here to Sacramento considering free agency has really never been great for the Kings and they're not going to have a massive lottery draft pick like they normally have this time of year. So from your perspective, Howard, and you've seen a lot of teams go from bad to kind of good to great and, and, and building a lot of these teams do it successfully through the draft when you're talking to like the dynasty of the golden state warriors. But in your mind, the path for the Sacramento Kings, do you think it's, to for them to achieve what they want to achieve as early early as next year is it heavily reliant on the guys that are expected to continue to be here or on additions out there like OG Ananobi has been a name floated around although I think the asking price is not what the Kings would want to do I think it starts with Keegan Murray and that's probably where the conversation ends but regardless is there a, a name or some names out there that the Kings can add that would make a bigger impact to what they're doing I don't listen. I start with with Ananobi for just for a second because it looks like the Raptors are are still determined to continue with some semblance of the core they have, sure. and I think I think Ananobi and Scotty Barnes are the guys that they're probably keeping for sure. I don't know about Siakam. Not sure if they're re-signing Van Vliet and the rest of this, but um, I, I hate to say this because I know that you, you fall in love with these guys immediately. If Keegan Murray plus stuff got me OG Ananobi, I would do that in a heartbeat. <laughs> I would do it in a heartbeat because I don't know if Keegan Murray will ever be the, the defender that OG Ananobi is. And if I'm thinking about ways that the Kings can improve, I'm thinking, well, I don't have a shot blocking center. Sabonis is not going to become that guy tomorrow. He's been in the league long enough. We know what he is and he's great, but he's a great offensive player. So to, uh, to the question I raised a few minutes ago, how do you then improve the defense? Well, if you've got some lockdown defenders on the perimeter that, goes a long way right it's still not having the shot blocker but you know and again like maybe maybe you know i mean they already they already tried this in in indiana with turner and sabonis right turner was the shot blocker next to sabonis and those two never really quite meshed together at a high level it didn't it didn't quite work can you find somebody else or find different ways a great perimeter defender or two would certainly move the kings along in that regard and, and anobi can score some two and is obviously a, a really great three-point shooter so um but I don't think Ananobi's available. Could you pry loose a Royce O'Neal from the Nets who have a surplus of 3 and D guys? Probably not prying loose Dorian Finney-Smith from them. I assume they're keeping him. I'm fairly certain they're keeping Mikhail Bridges. Uh, but they, they you know, and, and the price on him would be very high. Um, but I'm looking at a team like that where they have, like the Nets have a surplus of 3 and D guys. You know, can, can one of those, can, can you pry loose one at, at a lower um, price? Uh, there may be others around. I haven't really scanned the free agent market that much. Who can you get for the 12.2 uh, mid-level exception? Maybe there's some help out there. Short of that, yeah, then you're looking back to your young guys and you're thinking, well, Davion Mitchell has shown great promise as, as a defensive guard. And Keegan Murray certainly, I think, has the length and the tools to be 
a really good defender or maybe even great defender, you know, can Murray get there? Because if he's now, you know, plugged in as a starting forward for the next however many years, you, 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 you're going to need that, right? Like that's, and especially in this league, um, as many great guards and wings as there are, you need somebody who can deal with them, who can slow them down a little, who can make them a little less efficient, especially if you don't have a, an elite shot blocker behind you. We, now that we're talking about Keegan Murray, it's, I think, kind of an appropriate transition, a little bit getting away from the, I'm one of those people that is extremely high on Keegan Murray. Like, and I, I have been even before the Sacramento Kings drafted him. So I have more heart and less brain invested into, into conversations about moving Keegan Murray. And, and I feel that there are members of the Sacramento Kings organization that, that are the same way. The Kings do view, I know this for a fact, the Kings do view Keegan Murray as someone who can potentially become an all-star. That might be a ceiling. I have no idea, but they view him as a potential all-star player. To me, in order for him to accomplish that, he has to provide something that the Kings only really have from one player, which is someone who can create their own shot and create their own offense. Keegan thrived as a catch and shoot playing through the offense. Uh, three point shooter this year was the best three point or had the most three pointers made as a rookie in NBA history. But can Keegan Murray become the guy to where if Fox is out of the game or Fox is isolated, he's double, whatever it may be late in the shot clock or late in the game, Keegan can create his own shot and go get a bucket when the Sacramento Kings need it. So it's not all on De'Aaron Fox's shoulders. Can you see Keegan becoming that? Or do you see a path to Keegan Murray becoming that for the Sacramento Kings? Because if not, then that's something they probably need to try and find in the next couple of years. Yeah. Um, So one of the things about young players in this league, it's really hard to know, like, even like, um, let's take Mikhail Bridges, who's like a good comp in some some ways. Um, Mikhail Bridges was making his bones as a defensive player, as a defensive wing who, Hey, he's going to make an open three now. And then, uh, sounds kind of like Keegan Murray, right? Like I would even think maybe I haven't, I haven't looked, but they're the rookie numbers scoring wise are probably similar. Um, and you know, bridges, you know, if you just froze him in time or if you just made the snapshot and, and, and snap decision on who he was going to be early in his career, you'd say, you know what? He's going to be a great three and D guy, great role player, great third or fourth player in your road, in your uh, starting lineup. And, um, and that's it, but he's clearly worked on his handles and he's worked on his playmaking and he's worked on his pull-up jumper and he's worked on being able to diversify his offense to the point where you saw sometimes when, you know, Booker or others were out earlier this season when he was still with the Suns, you saw some of that potential. And then he gets to the Nets where he's number one by default. And suddenly Mikhail Bridges is, is performing like a number one point being, it's hard to know. Like, you just don't know how, how much a guy's going to work how quickly they're going to evolve. Um, you know, like Keegan Murray's got all these great tools. Like, could he become the player that you're envisioning, Matt, that, or that, and that the Kings hope he could be? For sure, that potential's there, but, you know. Right. You don't know until you know. You know, the guy The guy has to put in the work. Um, and I'm not doubting that he will or that he could. Uh, but he, I, I just, I, I try not to project too much. Um, and, and I look, the thing is, like, the, think of the role he's in he didn't have like the most eye popping numbers for a rookie, but it was because he was the rare rookie who got drafted to a team that really already had everything else set Mm -hmm. their record being what it was. You could still see that there was, there was potential to make um, some, some city progress and, and, and and much more rapid progress than we expected. He's not Bancaro going to the, to the magic. Um, He's not Jaden Ivy going to the Pistons. He's not, he was 
plugged into a place where he did not have to have it all on his shoulders. And that can limit you on one hand, but it benefits you in that you can just take the shots that are best for you. You don't have to force it. You don't have to have as massive usage rate. You're not the savior. You've got not just two elite offensive players, two offensive, two elite scorers in Fox and Savonis. They're both very good playmakers as well. So really, you could have this this fantastic rookie season and and be the only rookie. I think he was the only rookie starting in the playoffs, mm-hmm. um, because of the fact that that you had the benefit of of being drafted to a team that was ready to make this kind of jump. So it, the limiting part is all right, but we haven't seen whether he can uh, handle some more of that. Um, I don't think he's there yet, mm-hmm. but I think he could get there. So yes, needs to improve as a, as I think as a ball handler, playmaker. And those things will potentially then lead to what you're what you're suggesting, which is, hey, can he be a guy who can run the second unit sometimes, um, and 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 just be entrusted with more offensive creation for himself and others. All that said, I still think the the number one thing is to become an elite perimeter defender for all the things we just talked about. Maybe a, a better way for me to phrase the question in, in your mind was not, can he do that, but is now the appropriate time for the Kings to have patience to let him get there versus trying to capitalize on what they've built and trying to maybe run their way through the door that's now been cracked open for him right now and go out and get a name if they could possibly get it to try and capitalize on what's happening right now versus patience with a younger player. I think they can afford to have patience because their core is pretty young. And I think um, there's probably some... There's merit to the idea that if you just let these guys keep steadily progressing, give them all the, you know, everything that they need in terms of, you know, player development and and all those resources, that probably there will be just natural evolution there. But you can, you can get a little too cute with that in this league too. Sometimes you think, well, my, my team is young and improving. I'll just let it keep going. I mean, you know, the Grizzlies have reached a sort of, of, uh, you know, inflection point and, and jaw aside, right. Dylan Brooks was part of that core. And we're already now hearing that Dylan Brooks is no longer part of that core um, is again, let's assume everything, you know, jaw gets his head screwed on straight and everything works out. There is jaw Bain, Jaron Jackson, Jr. Enough to just kind of, Hey, we'll just let them evolve. Or are you going to at some point have to consolidate some of your other assets and bring in some vets or make a big impact kind of, kind of trade. I think the Kings don't have to face that decision just yet. They may have to soon enough. And I'm not suggesting that, like I said, you know, yes, I would trade Keegan Murray in a deal for OG Ananobi only because I think it accelerates your um, your timeline. Um, and it's not a knock on Keegan Murray. It's it's more a matter of like, I've always been one who like, I err on the side of, I would rather have the guy who I already know is a star as opposed to the guy who may someday become a star. And that, you know, that varies, of course, right? There are some guys that have, you know, like if Wembenyama's not a star on day one, you're probably going to wait a couple of years and let him become a star. <laughs> you're not trading him. But there's a spectrum there. And um, I don't think the Kings have that urgency just yet because of their their uh, relatively young age of, of their core. I, I think they will do what most teams do at this stage, though. You look to be opportunistic. You're not aggressively necessarily trying to go out and make a blockbuster this summer. But if somebody shakes loose that makes sense for you and you have the tools to go get that guy and it costs you a core player, then you do it. They were pretty bold in making the Halliburton for Sabonis swap in the first place, and we all crushed them for it. Um, and they have been vindicated uh, quite nicely um, several times over on that one now. Um, but I point to that only as an evidence of this is a front office that is not afraid. 
Harrison Barnes, do you have any inkling on which way any kind of leaning is going? I'm very curious to see what Harrison's motivations are. And, and maybe this will come out. Maybe it won't. Is he money motivated? Is he winning motivated? Is he starting uh, like starting position motivated? Because Kings could check all those boxes if they really want to to bring him back. Or if, if you want to take the, the answer in this direction for you personally, when you look at the Kings trying to turn themselves into a championship contender committing to another three to four years of Harrison Barnes as your starting small forward. When you know you're getting reliability, he played in every single game, but at times he he has a reputation for maybe disappearing or not providing what you need from your starting small forward uh, in the playoffs. Just when I say Harrison Barnes and that major decision that the Kings have to make and address this summer, where does your mind go? That in this league with a salary cap and with all the limitations that go with that, you really don't have a choice. Um, yes, you re-sign him. Um, yes, he's been an important key core player, great locker room guy, great leader, character guy, all that stuff too. Like he's got a lot of the intangibles that you want and is, you know, one of your, one of the rare, you know, seasoned vets on this team. Um, also guys won a championship, of course. So, um, I like him for all those reasons. And I think resigning him is a no brainer if you can figure out the right price. And I don't worry about him being movable later. And I think that's what, you know, you're signing him for the present and you're also signing him knowing that there are teams out there that would make a, a trade for, for Harrison Barnes if you have a, um, if you need to move forward for cap reasons, if you, or if you just found a replacement for him, or if he's the core piece in a trade to get you a, maybe a more defensive minded power forward, um, or to get you that, 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 uh, that defensive minded wing that I was talking about earlier. Like he's, he is a, he's a really valuable player. And he could be your valuable trade piece. Uh, you know, as long as you're not like maxing him out, which I don't think is probably happening. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think it's an easy enough decision. The, the easy part is whether you want him back, of course, because you can't replace him. You're you're you're, you're and I don't, I don't think I don't think him walking away gets them under the cap, does it? Um, so that is like this happens all the time in the NBA when you have like this this pivot point. And it's like, well, do I want this player? But yeah, you you know, most of the time, nine times out of ten, you can't outright replace the guy because you're not going to be below the cap. And he's too valuable to let walk. So you figure out the right number, you bring him back. And if you think that 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 he's not the guy you want for two or three years from now, you've got time to make another deal involving him. Howard, I'll squeeze this in really quick before I let you go. And you're so generous with your time. I really appreciate it. De'Aaron Fox finishing all NBA third team. Love the recognition. My question is, what does he have to do? Where does he go from here to get all NBA second or first team? He received a lot of second team votes. I think one first team vote. I'm okay with him not being in either of those teams. But if Fox is going to be the star here, you'd like to see him elevate his name into that conversation. Is it scoring? Is it defense? What does Fox have to do to get to that status? It's a really interesting question. I hadn't even really thought about it. I mean, look. Part of this, let's just hit the obvious uh, part of this first, which is simply that um, there were a, just a boatload of, of guards. Like that Absolutely. was the hard, like I moved, I, I put Jalen Brown at forward on my All-NBA ballot. Um, and I think a lot of others did as well because there there were just too many guards um, to even consider. And so you look at the guards who finished ahead of him. Um, it was Luca and Shea. It was... Steph and Donovan Mitchell um, and then Fox and Lillard were third team. And that, that group is not going to change much next season. Like it's mm -hmm. going to be the same ones. And plus a bunch of guys who didn't make it. And like, you know, uh, Jalen Brunson's got a, got a, you know, 
legitimate case to be made that he should have been on on all NBA third team at a minimum, but like there just were too many guards and um, you know, the Knicks didn't win as as high a level at high of a, of a level as some teams. Um, but he's going to be in that mix next year too. Um, there's, there's always a bunch of guys for let, so forget whether he's, he's climbing up the all NBA ladder, just in terms of as a young player who needs to make strides. Um, it starts to become about percentages, right? If you're a good playmaker, to be you know become a better playmaker, and if you're a great playmaker, then it's you know becoming um, you know a little bit more um, you know efficient in the in the way that that you run an offense. It may be the, your efficiency as as a lead scorer, um, and certainly I think in De'Aaron Fox's case, because this applies to all of the Kings, yeah, as a defender, like if if De'Aaron Fox rose to the level of like. I don't even want to say all defensive team because that is like the best of the best. And there's, there's only a handful of those slots, but if you were at least in that discussion, or if you were starting to be talked about as one of the top defenders at your position in the league, and you're already elite offensively, that's the kind of thing that makes you a permanent all NBA team guy. That's the kind of thing that gets you into the discussion for, you know, first or second team. And granted, granted, Luka Doncic has been first team all NBA, you know, I think multiple times now and is not a, def- not a defender, but it's because he is, such an elite offensive player that we kind of ignore the defensive side of it. And look, that happens in this league too, right? Like we MVPs all the time who are offense first players, um, you know, Curry, Nash, Dirk, Harden, Westbrook, like, but if you are a supreme offensive player, yeah, we, 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 you know, we stopped paying attention to the defensive part of it. Anyway, in Fox's case, I think, yes. Um, the next step is becoming, a uh you know a, a great consistent defender howard you're phenomenal thank you so much for not just the great coverage of that you do nationally of the nba but we know you pay attention to sacramento kings basketball as much as you possibly can so i appreciate you coming here on locked on kings uh, the second time this year i had you on i had you right before uh all-star uh, weekend as well uh so i appreciate you my friend hopefully we'll be able to do it again and uh i'll, I'll see you later on on the locked on network i'm sure Sounds great. Appreciate it, Matt. Thanks. Big thank you to Howard again for joining me here on the Locked on Kings podcast. I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you enjoyed his perspective. A lot of stuff to react to, so let's talk about it. I'm going to spend more time on this in future episodes as the offseason goes on, but Howard is saying, yeah, you bring back Harrison Barnes. Howard would trade Keegan Murray right now in a deal for OG Ananubi. Uh, Howard believes the Sacramento Kings were the, uh, the, the, the best story of the regular season. So what do you think about all of this? You want to share your opinions on this, other targets that you would like to see the Sacramento Kings in free agency or in the trade market, go out and try and get this off season. Let me know. Let's start these conversations because we got a lot of time to hash them out. Again, you can reach me on Twitter at MattGeorgeSack. Email me MattGeorgeSports at gmail.com or leave your thoughts in the YouTube comment section down below. Appreciate your support. Can't wait to have you join me on the next episode of Locked on Kings. Until then, my name is Matt George. You've been listening to the Locked on Kings podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. 